When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Oh Behave with the Bearded Behaviorist. Here we consider, discuss, and learn about behavior and the behavior sciences. Here is your host, Brian Middleton. Hello and welcome to Obehave with me, Brian Middleton, the Bearded Behaviorist. Today we have Rick Cabino, professor at Penn State, director of research at Central Reach, and our latest podcast guest. Uh, Rick and I are going to be here uh, today talking about behavior, response, and response class. Welcome, Rick. Thank you for having me, Brian. Very excited to talk with you today. It's a real pleasure. Thank you for coming on here. It's it's fantastic to have this uh, sort of support from the behavior analysis community. Well, I love this. I love your format, and uh, you, I'm sure your audience can appreciate a conversation uh, about behavior analysis. I am a rabid podcast listener. I probably have 15 different podcasts I listen to. And I appreciate your contribution because the more content we get out there about our wonderful science, the better it is for everybody. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, so let's go ahead and start with, uh, with our discussion here. Uh, let's okay. start with the basics, behavior. That's a fun one. Yeah. Behavior is... Uh, so I did my grad work at Ohio State, and okay. we had a class there, and it was a, uh, you know, it was once a year, it was in the fall, and it was set up where we, w- it was called teleconference, and we would get on the phone, and we would speak to famous behavior analysts, and it was really cool, because you, you know, every week, you had someone new, and you got oh, to, wow. yeah, the professors who you, we were talking to would, share some articles, but you could ask them anything. So it was almost like a reverse uh, where, where they were on the hot seat, you know, not a- asking the questions. And I re- remember one time where someone asked a very deep question and they just said, you know, what is behavior? And that is the answer to that is it's fundamental to our science. If you, you know, you could go back to Skinner and uh, mm-hmm. the, the person who founded operant behavior, you know, the founded the father of, of behavior analysis. And, you know, Skinner talked about anything that 
you know, organisms are observed to be doing. He had this definition in, in 1938. And when you look at many of the contemporary definitions and people who define behavior through time, all of it has surrounded and incorporated movement. So behavior is something that is happening. It's animated. It's action. It's here one minute. It's gone the next. So in all these definitions of behavior, you're going to find something that involves movement. And I find that's very important because for people in our field, when they're trying to understand, you know, is this a behavior or is this not a behavior? If you look for movement or action or someone doing something, that is a great way to start off with understanding what behavior is. Now, there are some other definitions out there that get really technical, but mm -hmm. I think, you know, before, or even if we do go in there, just understanding very simply that you know, behaviorism is anything that a person or organism does. That's a, a real nice way of defining behavior. Okay. So it's like, uh, well, one of my favorite definitions that I like to hear is, is, uh, anything emitted by a living organism is behavior. Um, yeah. uh, that, that's a fun one. Uh, and it's even more fun when you, when you apply the, the dead man test, which is yes. like if a dead man can do it, then it's, it's not behavior. Um, so like, for example, uh, if, if, uh, if the wind can blow over a dead man, then, it, then being blown over is not behavior, but maybe the screaming and shouting and, and pinwheeling of the arms is considered behavior. Um, that's, that's always fun. Uh, I, I liked, so one of my early passions before I got into behavior analysis is, is history. Um, I am, uh, licensed as a history, social sciences teacher, as well as a special ed teacher. Um, and, uh, one of the reasons why I love behavior analysis so much is because it's a transfer of my special interest of history over to studying behaviors as they're happening. Um, history is, is, is the record of histories, the permanent product, as it were, uh, sorry, record of behaviors, the, the permanent product. And uh, one of my favorite little <clears throat> questions I like to ask people is, is water going over a dam behavior? And the answer is no, water going over a dam is not behavior because mm -hmm. that's an inanimate object uh, that's, that's flowing and following the laws of physics. However, the dam is a permanent product of behavior if it was created by a living organism. So a beaver dam or a human dam, those are, those would be permanent products. So behavior, uh, behavior analysis applies to way more than just what we presently see because behavior analysis can apply to history. It can apply to sociology. Uh, psychologies of the other varieties, neuropsych and that, and, and that, um, especially the, the medical sciences and so many different and other ways. So um, that's, that's kind of a fun little thought uh, project or sorry, thought, thought question that, that I came up with to help me understand behavior a little bit better that just the permanent product is a result of behavior, but it itself is not behavior. Yeah, it's a good point. 
I think your comment gets at something that's really important. When we talk to people in general, and we use the word behavior, just colloquially, people mm-hmm. will say things like, oh, what's the behavior of the market? And when people talk about the behavior of the market, the market is not, you know, it's it's not a thing. It's uh, a collection of all this stuff. So when they talk about the behavior of the market and you know, they use that word, they don't mean it as we mean it in terms of uh, behavior analysis. Another thing that mm-hmm. you hear is like uh, when you look at sociology, if you start digging into to that science, you'll see that you know, they'll talk about group behavior and groupthink and these things that uh, are supposedly uh, meant to, to, to be, a, but you really can't have group behavior. If you have 500 people, you have 500 individuals behaving separately. Now, if you call that group behavior, fine, but there's no actual thing of group behavior. It's very specific to the individual. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And, uh, and, and I think that's, uh, one of the things that's most fascinating about behavior analysis is, is understanding how, um, different operations interact on behavior and, uh, result in, well, different behaviors. Mm. <laughs> um, so, uh, moving on to response class, oh, sorry, not response class response. Could you tell us a little bit more about response in relation to this? Sure. If we, if, if we go with the definition of, I, I like your definition of behavior because it's not dissimilar from the one that I shared, which is you know, anything that a person is doing. You know, you, you are more technical when you talk about the emission of responses. And if we talk about the emission of a response, what we mean there is the response is a single instance of a behavior. So if we say anything a person or an organism does, then if we were going to define a response, we're looking at one specific instance of that particular behavior. Or, and, and we would call that a response. And that term is very specific to behavior analysis. If you were going to talk to other people in psychology and you started throwing around the word response, it's going to mean something very different to them. And when they when they talk about responses in psychology, they might think about like a response item or you know, some, some, something else where uh, it's very uh, like a physical response and it's very singular. Whereas when we talk about a response, if I say a word, that's a response. If I scratch my head, that's a response. If I think a thought, that's a response. We have all types of single instances of some type of movement or action that would be considered or classified as a response. Okay. So it's a single incidence of behavior occurring. Yes. That is, yeah, that's the way I'd say it. I mean, it's not very complicated. 
where it gets to be a little complicated is if we say just what you, uh, I'll repeat what you said, uh, a, a response is a single instance of behavior, then you can have different types of responses. You can have an operant response. You can have a respondent response. And that starts getting into, and when you start labeling the type of response, what you're doing is you're saying this response has been conditioned in a certain way. So a response by itself is a very descriptive way of just saying this thing happened. It's a response. So kind of to use um, an example, there's a, there's a recent USC fight where um, we found out or more people were able to talk about how um, there's a BCBA who was coaching one of the UFC fighters. Uh, I happened to be watching that particular fight, but mainly because I was hanging out with friends, not because I care one way or another about that stuff. It's just, it's just fun be with friends. And, uh, so that BCBA was, was using data collection to help improve that fighter's ability. And so perhaps if we were to talk, if we were to break that down for what he does, uh, it would be looking at each individual way that that fighter punches, kicks, that sort of thing. And each one of those would be an individual response, correct? Yes. And depending, that's absolutely right. Okay. The for to understand a response, it's a very narrow description of something that is occurring. And, and narrow is okay. probably not the best word, a precise description of what someone is doing. That's, that's better. We, okay. we need precision in our science. So yeah, I'll leave it at that. Okay. So a precise description of each one. And then how does that relate to response class then? That's a good question. When we talk about a response class, I guess I should take a step back. When, when we're talking about um, behaviors and defining behaviors, I really didn't talk about this, but you can define behaviors in two ways. You can define behaviors topographically, or you can define behaviors functionally. When we okay. talk about defining a behavior topographically, what we're saying is this is exactly what it looks like. So in your example, when you were talking about uh, that particular behavior analyst, Paul Gavani, when he was uh, coaching his uh, fighter, if you had a particular kick or a particular punch or a particular hold, you could topographically define that. But we can also define things by their function. In other words, okay. what effects are they having? So that's an important distinction understanding that we can define behaviors two different ways. So when we get back to your question, what is a response class? What we're saying is we can have different responses topographically. So they look different, but yet they all serve the same function. Okay. And that's exactly what we mean by a response class. All right. So, and, and, 
this is me nerding out with regards to my social sciences stuff. Topography or topographical it is also used when referring to maps and mapping out things. Um, it literally means what the thing looks like, the, the physical characteristics of it. And so when topographical, it, it's just a fun old word that refers to how something looks. And then, of course, you mentioned function. And um, for those who are new to behavior analysis, there are four functions to behaviors um, that, that have been identified so far, at least. And we're always exploring and trying to see if there's more to it than that, okay. because we're always trying to ask the right questions. That's right. Um, and so the four functions that, that we know of so far are attention, escaping or avoiding, access to preferred activities or tangibles, uh, simplified to access, yeah. and automatic or sensory. Although I prefer the term automatic over sensory because technically all the functions are sensory. <laughs> so That's a good uh, point. <laughs> so I prefer automatic, although technically the correct answer is either or. Um, and so when we're when you're talking about response classes, uh, it's from what it sounds like um, for the sake of listeners and also so I'm getting this right in my mind, we look at the response individually and then response classes looking at what the what it looks like, the topographical or its function. Is that correct? Let me give you an example. Let's say that you wanted to open up a bag of potato chips. Okay. And you have this bag of potato chips, and one way of opening it would be you hold the bag and you take your your thumb and your forefinger, you grab it, and then you tear it open. Okay. That is one you can imagine what that looks like because I just described it. Another way of opening up that bag is – you take your teeth, you put the bag in your teeth, and you rip it off with your mouth. That's another way of opening it. You can see what that looks like, and it's different topographically from the other way. Uh, a third way could be that you actually have scissors and you cut the bag. And a fourth way would be you put the bag on the ground and you stomp on it with your foot, and then it pops open. Now, each one of those ways look differently, but they're all going to have the same function, which is opening the bag. Of course, that last example that I gave you is probably not the best uh, way to open up your, your chips if you want to eat them. But nevertheless, they all, they all serve the same function, which is opening up that bag of chips. You know, I actually have seen a little kid do that, though, open a bag of chips that way and because they didn't know how to <laughs> open the other way. Yes. That, that's stomping. Clever. Um, and, and uh, I, I show them how to open it the, the other ways. I was about to say correct way. Uh, but to him, he didn't like that because he liked how the chips were all small. And so he ah. continued stopping it. So for him, his preference was to have the, the chips all crunched up nice and small. Um, which, you know, the, the response class sounds like that falls within the access. That's component. right. Uh, I suppose if if the if he had been stomping it in order to gain attention uh, or to escape or avoid something, that that would be a different response class. Am I right? 
Well, it would, there would have to be, for it to be a response class, there have to be multiple responses in there. So yes, if he were getting attention, we could say like, how does he get attention from the teacher? Let's, let's go with your example. If he stomps on a bag of chips and it makes a, 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 a noise, that could be one way. Let's say the other thing that he does is he makes that fart noise where he takes his hand and puts it underneath his uh, his arm. You know, all the little kids love doing that. And uh-huh. it, it makes that noise. And and let's say uh, he the 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 kid also um, waves his hand pencil and tapping. does some kind of funny dance. Yeah, pencil tapping. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so if all of those three things serve the same function, which is the teacher's going to look at him. Uh, or her and, and give attention, then yes, that those three things could be a response class, even though they look very differently, they are serving the same response. So we would call those a response class. Okay. That, that's fantastic. It, it, so it, it's a response. Um... Forgive the unintentional pun here that I'm already seeing, and so therefore maybe it is intentional. It's a responsive way of looking at behavior. Um, by instead of just worrying about just topography, you can be uh, you can look at it, the function, and it can be individualized to the ind- individual. That's that's right. So a response class for you is going to be very different. That's the thing about behavior analysis, and I'm glad you brought that up. It is, I mean, every single one of us are different. You know, we, we're mm-hmm. all humans. We all have, you know, the, the biological features that make up humans are going to be there across all of us. And the way we come into the world and our genetic background is going to be unique. The way we experience the world and the way uh, consequences play out is going to always be different. So, so it's very important that we look at how are things you know, shaped up for you? How are they for me? So a response class for you certainly isn't going to necessarily be a response class for me. It's very individual. That's really good. Um, and that's actually one of the things that I noticed about um, behavior analysis from the very get-go as a special education teacher. Uh, individualized education plans were a big um, driving factor of the, why I chose to be a special ed teacher instead of continuing on as the history side, because I liked the individualized portion of it. Um, even if sometimes it's not done so well, um, I was always striving for that. And that's one of the things I love about behavior analysis is it's a lot of people assume a lot of information about behavior analysis, but it always comes down to, you look at the individual, um, in fact, uh, the single subject case design uh, mm-hmm. is is one way of, lo- of of saying that. That's a nerdy way of saying um, we look at the individual and we consider just the individual. We're not worried about what everybody else is doing. We're worried about what this person is doing and why. Yeah. In fact, what you just described there is the foundation for our science the way we came to understand all of these beautiful principles of behavior was not taking a group of pigeons or rats or people in on average, seeing how they responded. We looked at each individual. We put them in whatever the experimental uh, 
uh, well, I mean, if we go back to, to Skinner, there were these experimental chambers, and Skinner looked at, if I do this thing, how does the animal respond? How does the pigeon respond? And when he found that when he did things predictably, he could actually control responses. And now here we are so many years later, and that still is the foundation of what we do. We look at the individual. We look at how do things affect that individual. And you know, we, there's general things that are going to happen, like reinforcement's a principle. Reinforcement the way it works is going to work the same across everybody, but what reinforces you, your behavior, what reinforces my behavior, and what reinforces a student in your class's behavior is all going to be different. Yeah, um, a big difference, and that's <clears throat> that's fantastic in my opinion um, because we need to accept that, that there are those differences. Um, one thing that early on in my studies of behavior analysis, I got kind of stuck in. And it, thankfully, I, I had a, a mentor who was able to kind of get me unstuck, was kind of worrying about like, well, why are people um, having these different preferences? What is the, can, does behavior analysis explain those differences? And um, my mentor, uh, Ryan, he, he, he said, well, that's cool that you want to know that stuff. That's fantastic. Uh, but behavior analysis isn't worried about answering why. We're worried about what's the function. Uh, mm -hmm. We're worried about describing what we observe, not worried about explaining why. Um, and that's one of the strengths of behavior analysis is that instead of trying to fit what we're observing into a narrative, we're instead looking at, okay, this is what I see. This is the cause. This is the effect. This is... And, and, and these are the conditions that I can um, alter to be able to change the cause and effect. And that leads to the socially significant portion of behavior analysis, because we always worry about socially significant behaviors. Um, and in other podcasts, I talk about this and, and uh, in future podcasts, I will talk about it, I'm sure. Um, but a lot of times with behavior analysis, we work with Predominantly, the field is working with mostly autistic children or, or special needs children. Um, and there's sometimes things that we individuals worry about that aren't socially significant. And they're shaped by other sciences, such as, well, the DSM-5, which is, is a, a, a different branch of psychology. Uh, and so one of those things that often comes up as well, a, a characteristic of autism, a topography of behavior is... Uh, no eye contact or limited eye contact. And um, this is kind of a pet peeve for me. Is that socially significant? I don't think so. Hmm. I, it, it, it depends on the culture. Um, but in, in my opinion, what's socially significant is body orientation. Is the, is the listener indicating through body language that they're listening? Yes or no? If the answer is no, we teach them how to orient their body. <laughs> I would, I, I, you had me thinking when uh, you were describing uh, why do we care about things and what should we func what should we, uh, what should we focus on, and what may, what you made me think of is everything that you said that that you know when you were reflecting on what Ryan taught you, all of that fits under applied behavior analysis. We really care about 
how do we help people when we're talking about applied behavior analysis? But we do have mm -hmm. a whole branch of people that do what's called the experimental analysis of behavior. And they are interested in those things that you just said. They do want to know, you know, why, why do, why are people, you know, uh, look, why are they, why does this affect one person one way or the other? So the, the experimental okay. branch of our science like if you if you take behavior analysis and you use that term to be overarching under behavior analysis is the science of behavior and within there you can have uh, there's applied behavior analysis there's the experimental uh, analysis of behavior and you know there's even behaviorism which is the philosophy of a science of behavior so uh, you, I think you you bring up a really good point, and I, I do want to clarify that that depending on what people are interested in, like most of your audience uh, in in yourself, you're interested in helping positively affect someone's life, however that may be through education, through mm -hmm. you know helping change behavior, looking at where people need help, and in the applied part of our science is designed to do exactly that. But if some people were interested in you know, basic work, you know, we have people doing pharmacological, uh, I'm going to, can't say that word tonight. <laughs> pharmacological. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Pharmacological studies. <laughs> it is. It's a big word. Um, yeah. We have people looking at that and, and all these other things. So uh, our field is wonderful and it, it covers a lot. And I guess if we if we bring this full circle, for anybody who's interested in any aspect of it, you, know, you got to start at the beginning. And you know, the, the the topic and the content that we cover today is very important to understanding and, and to building on it and to understanding uh, behavior analysis. And, and thank you for the reminder about experimental behaviorism or behavior. Uh, sorry, is it experimental, experimental analysis? analysis of behavior? Experimental analysis of behavior. Whew, mouthfuls, all yeah, sorts. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> We're helping each other out, Brian. Exactly. Uh, and, and yeah, so thank you for that reminder because you are correct. Uh, I, I am usually thinking about it from, from the application aspect of it, but that research is essential too because, well, mm -hmm. uh, as mentioned in the very beginning, we're always trying to ask the right questions. And um, that's the wonderful thing about this field is I've noticed that um, practitioners of it, individuals who are using it every day for um, physical uh, coaching uh, of, of skills or for helping individuals with special needs or um, for helping people with improving their diet and health and exercise, that sort of thing. We're all applying it, but we also are encouraged and consistently reminding each other to read research. Uh, the more more current research to uh, ask those questions, to participate in the community of research um, in so many different ways. And that's one of the things that I really love about behavior analysis is it's not just, oh, yes, it's settled. The science is done. There's no question. You can't question this because that's what somebody else said and this, that, the other. It's you're a scientist no matter where you are practicing in the field and you need to be contributing and be a part of the community. Um, even if that contribution is 
um, asking a good question and passing around to somebody else who is maybe doing the work full time, which I don't know. I, I think that's super cool. You and I are on the same page. We have a wonderful science. It's a community of people that just want to understand behavior. And of course, for those of us who are in the applied side, we want to we have a very specific charge. We want to understand why people are doing things the way they're doing and how can we help them in whatever area they need. And if that's education and teaching, you know, we're going to teach people how to do things. Well, fantastic. Um, is there any other thoughts or things that you would like to share about this particular topic? I think we have covered a lot of ground tonight. And what I would recommend your audience to do, especially for those who are studying behavior analysis, whether it's for taking the, the BACB exam or, or whether, you know, if you're going to get your BCBA or whatever you're, you're shooting for, read widely. We have a number of excellent texts. And, you know, Brian, you and I tonight were talking about you know, different definitions that have impacted us. It's good to see how people in our field define simple things like behavior. You know, see what Skinner said. Read what's in the white book, the Cooper, Heron, and Heward text. Read what's in you know, other texts out there uh, and, and see how people define behavior, define a response, and define response class. You will see, by and large, people have very similar definitions, but here and there you can find nuanced approaches to it, and that's the beauty of science. We are always trying to become more precise. We're trying to understand whatever our subject matter is better. And you know, with time, uh, you, people will develop a real strong sense of the, the fundamental aspects of our field. And if you read different people and you read widely, then of course, when there are changes, then it'll make a lot of sense to you and you know, you'll, you'll be able to contribute uh, better with the science that, that we all love. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, one thought just occurred to me. I forgot to bring this up. I've been, I've been waiting uh, to bring this little topic up uh, for the reason why I chose the name Obehave for this podcast. And the reason for that is very specifically because Obehave, while it may have been made famous through Austin Powers and his Obehave uh, thing, <laughs> right. is I felt like it was apt because it's literally saying, be alive, live life, Obehave. Like behavior is everywhere. Uh, every time you walk outside, you hear it, you see it, you smell it. Uh, for good or ill. <laughs> and uh, by even walking, you're doing it. And so that's, that's one of the reasons I chose that particular podcast name. And, uh, and it's, it's my way of getting my dad joke in. <laughs> I love it. Well, Rick, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I hope to have you on in the future because it's been a real enjoyable conversation, edifying, educational, and um, I don't know, just fun. So, well, thanks for having thank me, Brian. I would say the same to you. Perfect. 
All right, folks, thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. Um, you can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash podcast or uh, by supporting it through Anchor. Uh, and as always, obehave.